that for me was a gift in that I, you know, we were able to, we were able to and encouraged to be curious, to, to wonder what other story we could tell because there was a way to find, you know, an, a, a spot to fit it in, uh, in the range that this brand was able to, even the range of emotion, right? You know, you could, you could make people laugh, you could make people cry, you could do all of these things that it was just about finding something uh, that, that brought, uh, you know, that brought that emotion to life. What up, Craig? Hey, fellas, how are we doing? Good, man. Thanks for logging on. Sorry, we thought we sent you the um, the link, so but it might have gotten in the um, junk mail or something happened. So I don't know. We got it now. We made it here. Yeah. <laughs> how are you guys? You guys doing well? Yeah, man. It's been uh, it's been wild, but we spent uh, we got out of town. We were in Florida for uh, like three months. Spent almost a hundred days under the same roof as my parents, which was the longest stint since high school. You can probably imagine there were were some moments of triumph, no doubt. Um, But uh, it was great and it was amazing. We've got a little uh, almost 15 month old girl. So awesome for her to get to spend some time with the grandparents and and hang out. And uh, the sunshine was, is definitely missed. We got back just in time for the snowstorm in Portland. So um, we maintain power, which I guess is an accomplishment in in the company today. So, um, but it's been uh, it's been a crazy little ride for us the last uh, six months or so. I'm sure um, we're excited to have you as a guest, especially with um, our podcast. And um, you know, we usually ask our guests kind of from beginning of like their college years to like how they decided to go into marketing and how they got into Nike. Um, and what you've gone through within Nike and your experiences and kind of like go from there and we'll, we'll ask questions, but we'd love to hear kind of like the way you decided, you know, when you went to university, how did you decide that marketing was a focus or was it not? I mean, we'd love to hear about Mm -hmm. that. Okay. Uh, I mean, I think the, it's interesting because the, the place I start my, my story actually takes me all the way to high school. Um, I, I grew up in, uh, my family was originally from the East Coast, but I grew up in Indiana and I was super lucky in that we had a, a, uh, a broadcast television station that was run out of the high school. And I kind of took an interest to it right as I got into high school and a close friend of mine and I um, got the chance to become the, the play-by-play um, and color broadcast team for the high school basketball and football programs. And it was a time in... Uh, in high school sports in Indiana, where basketball especially was this unbelievable collection of talent uh, coming through the same conference. So, um, you know, Josh McRoberts, uh, Greg Oden and Mike Conley uh, were playing (laughs) and Eric Gordon was in the conference, the Teague brothers as a whole coming out of Pike. It was an amazing kind of moment in sports where you're now you see, and there's so many of these names that were competing on a Friday night (laughs) in Indiana every night for, uh, a couple years. Um, and that was really where my love of storytelling and my love of doing that in sport with athletes uh, originated. So coming into college, I knew I wanted to learn about production. I knew I wanted to become a part of uh, the the mechanic that helped to tell those stories and share them with people. Um, so ended up uh, going to IU and, and being a part of what now is, is dubbed the media school. And it was it's amazing to see how far uh, you know that curriculum has come. Um, but I spent a lot of my time in school, uh, you know, on Final Cut, uh, and which ironically is how I kind of crossed paths with Jesse as we came down to it. And, um, and I think there was just a lot of uh, there were a lot of areas to explore. And it was kind of an amazing entry point that I got to school with a really clear picture of the things I wanted to study versus a lot of my friends who were coming to school for the first year trying to decipher what area they were interested in or what piece of the Kelly business school they wanted to try and make their mark on. And that was an amazing, uh, an amazing gift that I think I, I didn't realize until later how much direction those early, you know, high school moments gave me for the rest of my life. That's awesome. And like, did you, as you went to the um, Indiana University, were you still set on, on trying to be in production as well, or try to like spend your time kind of, kind of like getting into the college sports area of what you were yeah, doing in high school? I, mean, I played competitive golf in high school and, and thought for a long time that that would be what I wanted to be focused on going into college. And um, what was interesting is that as I, 
as I got to IU, one of the first realizations I had was, you know, I did a lot of the color commentary in high school, which was a ton of fun. And as you got to the professional level in that space, it was ex-athletes or coaches or, you know, for, for lack of a better word, people who are able to deliver real meaningful insight into, you know, their past and, and their experiences. So I quickly understood that that was not going to be the path for me um, out of the gate. So that kind of flipped me into uh, thinking more about music video production or or films, uh, film shoots and things like that, and almost flipped me from a focus and enjoyment of being in front of the camera to really understanding what was going on beyond that. Mm, that's, that's awesome. So Craig, like, can you talk to us a little bit about like maybe your senior year, once you start looking at opportunities post college, like what were some of the options you were looking at? What were the things that were kind of get, catching your interest? Yeah. I mean, I, uh, between my sophomore and junior year of college, I did an internship with Capitol Records out in New York. Um, and essentially it was like a video promotions coordinator, which long, long and short of it made it almost seem like I was, a you know, an, a, an assistant to the A&Rs specifically when artists were coming into town to, um, do the circuit with Fuse and MTV and VH1, right. All the, all the video channels. And it was amazing because I kind of just got to learn the process of what being an intern was about um, and and kind of the the daily grind of, of being an indispensable resource to the people around you that then in turn allow them to teach you more because you've taken things off of their plate um, through your you know desire to learn and, and get in the mix. So uh, I went in and did the, I, I got, uh, I got it asked to, I essentially was asked to uh, give the Nike internship a shot from a, a mutual family friend who was like, Hey, this is something that you could be interesting for. Um, and, and made it through that process and had been an intern at Nike for the summer prior, uh, to my senior year. And I'll never forget that in the midst of that school year, uh, I, I got a call that was just like, Hey, you know, we're, we're going to have something here that's going to line up right with when you're getting out of school. And, uh, it wasn't with a team that I, had previously worked with. It was with some people that had moved into a new area um, that had identified a role that, uh, you know, kind of fit, you know, what, what I was apparently bringing to the table the summer prior. So I actually spent the second half of my senior year full well knowing I was moving to Portland and, you know, taking on a job with Nike. And that was crazy because it was a really uh, abrupt transition, right? There were other jobs and things that I was like interested in that very quickly just became like, this is what I'm going to do. Like I, and I had a, you know, I, in some ways I had had a taste of what I was going to, I kind of understood what I was walking back to and the challenge that was in front of me. And for a lot of reasons, it was precisely what I had always, you know, been striving towards. Um, so I didn't have that, that last couple months or, or any of that, that so many friends of mine were going through and in finding, you know, what that job was going to be. I spent more of it figuring out, you know, what I was going to do, you know, out in Portland and, and who I was going to live with. Um, because at that time, the, the internship program was the retention rates were, were fairly low. You were talking about, you know, 100, 200 interns and, and 20 were, you know, were coming back in, in those times. And, uh, you know, and that program has evolved so much over the years um, in different ways. Yeah, and I would love to kind of stick to that um, internship program a little bit. And I think our listeners would love to know, especially the younger listeners, is like, what was that um, kind of first interaction of like interviewing like for you was it I, I don't I know we don't do it anymore and I say still we as Nike is like um, we don't do group panel interviews anymore but was that something that you had gone through or what was the interview process like when you were trying to get into Nike it was it was that it was it wasn't panels it was a lot of one-to-one -one, and it almost felt like you were I think I, I almost remember it more like you were being shopped across potential intern managers, right? Or then shopped across potential managers coming into a role and almost like, is there a fit? Is there a match? And that's something that I think is interesting. So much of, you know, so much of the intangibles are about chemistry, right? Or about like, is there something here that like, is there, you know, a rhythm to that conversation to what those things are that, um, you know, that can help build up a group around you that can help build the culture that a leader is trying to, to put into effect. And that was the beauty of, of Nike and the scale of Nike is that there were so many pockets that you could be a part of or that you could be in that it was about finding fits and new kinds of chemistry and even the ability 
you know, almost to like shake the, I haven't played Boggle in a long time, right? But like shake the cube <laughs> and see how you could find different and new and exciting combinations of people and personalities and skill sets that could bring new and exciting work to the table um, in, in sometimes a process that while it never stopped changing, you know, was, was ever evolving, right? Was ever, was, was, was always kind of the same, same template in new shapes and sizes. Hmm. I, I want to think that the capital experience and going through that intern process, um, previously, you know, did that have an impact just on your confidence level and just terms of like how to present yourself in a big company like Nike? Did you feel like that, that kind of gave you a leg up on some of the other folks that you were interning around? I think the, the advantage was understanding the expectations of an intern to the completion of the program before you were actually walking into a new program. And I'll, I'll put it as like this. I think the, you know, even in, in a lot of my experiences and I've, I've been fortunate that I've also been on teams later at my time in Nike that we had incredible interns, right. Who came back. And some of that is also just a belief in the program. So many of my close friends to this day are people that I've met in my intern year and, and years prior and, and after us, um, and those relationships, you know, carry weight in, in you know, when the organization was valuing that loyalty to, to the center um, in the way it was. And, uh, you know, the biggest lesson I had was that the last three weeks was not about networking. The last three weeks was about putting in the final bits of work. And so many times I think interns or even just prospective interns come into the process thinking, I'm looking for a relationship or a connection or a person who is going to help me deliver the job, right? Or the, the job in the area that I'm interested in that I've figured out. And so many times you get to those last three weeks and just like the workforce is gone because everyone's in like, oh, I have six one-on-ones today. Cause I'm just, it's almost like they're out there looking for the glass slipper, right? That's just gonna fit and that's what it's about. And for me coming out of the capital internship, I was looking to network through the process of doing my work. And I'll never forget, I think you guys are familiar too. Jay Chima was my intern manager. Mm. Um, who the last time I remember I've, I've talked to him recently, but I remember he was on Jeopardy. Like, it was, but when Jay was my intern manager, it was amazing because everything that he was doing with me was about, hey, here's a story from the past or something you can learn from, which included like the intern who drove the mail truck into the pond, right? I, like, you remember those moments <laughs> of don't be that intern. Um, and and with with Jay, like the the first things that you know that we talked about were about getting into the work. And, and that opportunity of understanding like, hey, I'm not here to, to network today. I'm here to build relationships. And Jay would say, don't send an email, walk across campus, go meet this person, ask them the question you were gonna ask them in an email, and then come on back with the answer. And that became such a new formula for me that to be honest, lasted through the entirety of my career at Nike in that I wanted to make relationships, I wanted to uh, develop uh, trust, and that was much easier to do in person as you were driving work. And that became my method of networking, not scheduling a bunch of one-on-ones to try to catch someone's attention. And it allowed me to actually focus way more on the work. And I think that was the biggest difference. My, my internship at Nike, I remember the work, not the networking. Um, you know, and, and that was at a time where we were doing things like seven on, right, which became the opening. And, and that was amazing because I showed up every day to a job, right, not to an internship. And I think that that attitude change really can help make the work you do define your time with a brand or company or whatever it may be versus the people you meet being the only reliance that you have on proving your worth to, to that mission. I think that's a, a, a very good point. I think, um, you know, today's younger generation, it's exactly what you just said. It's like, how many one-on-ones can I get versus um, actually doing the work and actually building a relationship that way? Um, it's kind of like that question, you know, if you're getting interviewed, it's like, where do you see yourself in two or three years? It's like, I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking about the job at hand right now and really do a good job of that and that way to develop where I can see where myself go in two or three years. But, um, with that in mind, like you talk about Jay Chima and everybody with that kind of leadership, like what was your experience like, um, you know, during your Nike tenure, uh, on leadership? Like, did you have someone in mind? You could say that you could always rely on um, making sure that you you can have your questions answered or their experiences that could help you throughout your path and, and journey at Nike. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of individuals who it's funny because I think 
sometimes it's about the people that you encounter in your life at the right moment for them to impart their wisdom on your life. You know what I mean? Like it's not just who they are, but actually the moment in time that you get to interact with them. And, you know, my first boss at Nike was Arturo Nunez, who I still believe today probably changed my life and impacted me more than he'll ever understand. Um, Because he had this amazing curiosity about the world. And he also, he wanted those around him to share in the joy that that could bring and understanding that there's immensely, you know, the, the world is a massive place full of culture and beliefs and people that are fascinating if you go looking to understand and looking to, to learn versus how so many people in the world look to, to judge or, or compare my notes against yours. And I think in many ways, he, he helped me understand not just the acceptance of just that there are other perspectives, there are other paths, there are other ways that people are looking at the same thing you're looking at. And it's okay that you and them don't see it the same way, but you need to be able to see both sides of that. And I think that became a a lesson that continued to teach itself over and over and over again, right? And just how you listen to people and how you interact in a conversation versus ask a list of 10 questions in a row and call the job done. Um, I think a lot about, uh, you know, Nicole Hubbard, uh, Nicole Hubbard Graham, right? Like uh, Mm -hmm. she, she was somebody who, um, I think saw that I was confident in what I was doing and wanted and wanted to try to almost help me prove that that was something that needed to be earned in every in every single instance in every moment and uh, you know even just the the way to put thoughts together to string a story together as a narrative and then uh, you know I honestly I, I think about Robert Zajac maybe more than anyone because he and I cross paths in in so many different ways. There was so many odd like parallel paths in in our journey. I didn't do the lap around the country to Russia, but that's not for everyone. <laughs> um, the uh, I think the the amazing thing that you know was so important from him and and maybe the the center of where I think about what leaders you know need to be, especially today, it wasn't just about being able to to teach the subject. It was the ability to teach, the ability to impart you know, uh, knowledge and things that you've done in the past to somebody else, not just in the moment, but for them to then take it and be able to utilize that and teach it themselves for the rest of their own journey and their path. Um, And I think, you know, between that and creating a place that people want to come every day, that you love to come into the space because you you have a sense of, of belonging, a sense of team, um, and just a sense of joy of loving the work that that stint in time, those two moments where uh, I worked with Arturo and Robert and the team with Mel Lenzi, right, who I know you guys have spoken to on here, that the energy of that workspace, you know, Julian Duncan was a part of that team. Uh, Gian Allen was a part of that team. Leroy Ebanks was a part of that team. We had a, an energy about us that wasn't it, it wasn't about confidence or arrogance or anything. We just loved doing the work we were doing together. There was real fun in that. And I think at times it's hard to capture what it takes. Um, I love when people talk about, you know, well, this is the, we need to have a culture that represents these things. It's very different in my mind, identifying a need for culture and being someone who is able to create it, to build the space that that exists in. And I think that that's a, a huge differentiator for me and in, in the individuals that I'm talking about and the people you know in my life who who maybe didn't bring those same uh, aspects to the table, that's the thing that matters. Can you create an environment where everybody wants that same thing and wants everyone around them to succeed as well? There's a, a real nuance to creating competition alongside teamwork, um, especially in you know in a place like Nike where we are a bit siloed, right? Or, or, or in different ways, we had been very very much siloed in categories and genders and whatever it may be. There is a my number versus your number. In basketball, it was the Kyrie number versus the LeBron number versus the KD number. You did have a business and, an, and a responsibility that you were driving that bred inherent competition. So how do you get a group to also work together in the midst of that? Yeah, that's something that's come up on our podcast before. Just the interesting nature of the way that Nike's organized creates these subcultures within the overarching Nike culture, right? And being with you know the Nike basketball category which you were for a pretty healthy amount of the time mm-hmm. that you were at Nike 
there's obviously this swagger that Nike basketball has within Nike. And, you know, it's kind of like Nike running was sort of started the company, but Nike basketball is kind of what built the company, you know, is probably, you know, accurate. Can you talk a little bit? I mean, a lot of those people that you mentioned came through that. I think that your experience in having that much time with Nike basketball is kind of unique. Um, can you talk about just how you sort of came up through Nike basketball in your career and, and how that developed and, and the leadership opportunities that you also got um, through the, through that time? Yeah, sure. I mean, the, I think, I mean, you said it, right? Like the, I, we, I remember we described a lot as, you know, the heart and soul, right? Night running was always at the heart. It was where it started. It was the, the innovation engine at the beginning and the soul of the brand and what really started to take flight, you know, late eighties into the nineties and so on, um, is where kind of that, that soul came in. And, and I think there was tremendous pride in that. Right. And, and I, I agree with exactly what you're saying of these subcultures and, um, I was working in emerging markets when I first came in, um, which was incredible and, and a, a total refresh on taking a step back and looking at the, the picture without any context and languages you don't know, um, you know, in, in countries you've never been to. Uh, and, and that was an incredible experience that pushed me into the digital space and ultimately, um, for, for the sake of short stories, uh, you know, spit me into um, social media uh, and, and Jesse Stalick and, and Musa's team. Uh, in the digital space as we were getting ready to bring brand channels to Instagram. Um, and an awesome group came together, uh, you know, at, and, and I think there was just, again, like another team with tremendous energy and joy of like the challenge that was in front of us. And I think that was such a privilege with the brand to, to get to jump into these things that were massive moments when you think about, you know, 12 million followers later on an account and however many, you know, huge moments and things and statements that have been made, um, you know, huge inflection points for the changing in the way that the brand was communicating. And, uh, you know, that, that role led me into some amazing opportunities to deliver a lot of our player interviews. And I think what's funny is that the experience I referenced in high school was really where the comfortability of getting in that chair across from Kobe Bryant or LeBron James or, uh, or Kyrie and, and KD and, and, you know, those up and comers at the time um, was, you know, daunting and exciting all at the same time. But there was a comfort because I had been in that chair in in the past in a, in a life that I enjoyed. So I I started to love that experience and in those conversations, in the development of those assets, started to develop relationships with with Nico, with Lynn, with the sports marketing uh, team in basketball, um, who to this day are, are, are men that I look up to and, in, in, in and hold in tremendously high regard for the lessons that they also taught us that had nothing to do with marketing, had to do with just life and, and interacting with people and understanding the challenges that, you know, these athletes go through on, on the day to day and, and, and how to make the most of that time. Um, and I think that experience is what kind of led to, uh, me being tapped on the brand marketing side to say, Hey, how about moving out of digital and coming across into brand marketing as we get these franchises started? Um, and, and that was kind of the, the dream state, right? I, I came into digital. I had started to understand that I loved product. I really wanted to, to become a part of the process of, of telling stories through the, you know, the incredible forms and innovations that were coming out of the kitchen. Um, and that was the, the dream job. So I, I got to jump into basketball and brand marketing and be surrounded by some some incredible brand marketers, like I said, in in Mel Lindsay and and Gian uh, and and JD, um, and then working you know with that team with Arturo and and Zajac, and it was a a really special time for me because I was surrounded by people who had lessons to teach, who had spent time in Asia, who had spent time uh, up close and personal with the athletes, and I was so fortunate to be around a bunch of people who wanted to teach. They wanted me to succeed. And that bred something in me that was important, that I wanted them to succeed, that we were willing to share ideas and energy. And, and you know, we, we loved the banter. Uh, you know, we loved to get in the barbershop, as, as we used to kind of say, and just let, let it out. And I think that kind of freedom and honesty and trust that was developed in that group, I try to replicate in every team, in every environment I'm in because of just the openness and the, the togetherness that that group kind of shared. Um, and I think that's that's been been something important for a long time. So uh, Kyrie and Paul George uh, and James Harden actually at the time for about two weeks there uh, 
were the the young guns. And uh, I got a chance to get in the mix and we developed those franchises with uh, our product partners, our sports marketing partners, the merchandising team. And we were really architecting, okay, what is this going to look like? What can we learn from the previous franchises? How is this different today? How is the globe different? Um, and it was such an amazing way to jump out of thinking about creating digital assets and narrative storytelling into creating a line plan and a, and a journey through product and a journey that covered the globe. Um, and I think those years and in, in that moment were where, you know, I started to understand that there were a lot of different ways to describe creativity. And I think it's funny, like even today, right? Like a, a lot of companies talk about brand design and advertising, right? Call it whatever you want. We've seen the changes there, but like those are, that's the creatives. And I always find it interesting because some of the most creative work I was ever a part of were adapting line plans to shifts in production timelines that would then turn out how you could connect the marketing work to what was going on. And that was never referred to as creativity. And I think that was where the the role that I was in and the the responsibility that we had as brand marketers became much bigger than assets and copy and marketing. Um, and I think that was something, again, that you mentioned, like we took pride in. We loved that we had that connection with our product team, that we were a part of the story, that we could walk into an athlete meeting at All-Star Weekend and tell one unified vision as a product team, a merchandising team, a sports marketing team, and a brand team as we're together on this. And I think there, that was something that was a, a huge part of the time that we spent in basketball, the, the knitting together of those teams as one unit versus independents that were able to coexist and and interact when they needed to um, in driving the success of those franchises. Oh man, that's that's like exactly what you said. It's like everybody's on all hands on deck and cross-functionally communicating and making sure everybody's aligned. Um, that's just the way how big Nike is and how it worked. Um, I'd love to ask Craig then, um, what was your most memorable moment or what was the one kind of moment where you were like, this is the most amazing, like it just, you had that aha moment. It's like, I can't believe I'm doing this as, as a job, right? Um, it, within the, the tenure of Nike and, and specifically in basketball, what was that for you? <laughs> um, man, there's a lot of stories that come to mind. I think uh, as you asked the question, the one that I'll, I'll throw out is I remember uh, after, after I had been working with, uh, with Kyrie and Paul George and those teams for uh, you know, a little bit, um, I was in LA and was asked to um, jump onto a set for a LeBron shoot and deliver some interview questions that had been written and, and whatnot. And like, it was, it was a, it was a great move for us to just like get, get this done with the team that was uh, on the ground already. And I sat down and I had not interviewed LeBron since much prior when like, I was kind of just the guy that was doing it with a bunch of people. And I remember sitting down and LeBron saying something to the effect of like, in the last conversation and interview that we had had was about some fairly serious stuff. And it was just, you know, it was the material that we were asking at the time. And we sat down and LeBron made a comment to, to some effect of saying like, all right, like we're back on with, with Barbara Walters. Like it was the serious conversation. And I think just that there was a moment of like, I can't believe we're sitting down and there is even a shred of familiarity between us in this moment and, and you know, where... LeBron at that time was it was really turning on the gas with so many things that make him the human being that you know the world is celebrating him as now um and I think it was just a very surreal it is one of those like athlete aha moments where you're like I can't believe like we're just having a conversation and it wasn't about knowing your name or anything like that it was that we had shared experience and that we were back and I think it was where for me in basketball the prideful nature of like what we do and how we and and it was a it was just a one of those things you don't forget that I'm sure nobody else even caught. Um, but there was a, a chuckle for a couple of us behind the camera who were at both post shoots. And, uh, and you think about that in just those, those moments that you have, uh, you know, interacting in that sense, but also it's about the work that's coming out of it, you know, in that sense. That's awesome. Um, so like, you know, when you were starting out in, in college and coming out of high school, honestly, and you were talking about just, you know, the power of storytelling, uh, obviously that is a really big fundamental truth at Nike and the story is kind of key to a lot of the marketing that Nike does. Um, 
Can you just talk about just sort of, you know, marketing's role and your role and kind of the the storytelling that you guys were doing at the time just around athletes and initiatives and products and and how, you know, maybe that that sort of through line may or may not have just kind of continued through your career? Yeah, I mean, I think the I think there was always this powerful, you know, two-ended spectrum uh, with the brand in that we were able to tell these deep and meaningful innovation stories right? Like stories about just like the incredible things that were happening just not so, you know, a couple miles away in some cases, uh, and in some cases, thousands of miles away. Um, And then on the other side, we were able to tell stories that were just about human beings. And I think sport is just such an incredible, you know, connector of people. I, I, I loved and I remember early on, you know, having conversations about it's really the only true international language. I, I remember working in emerging markets distinctly as like a quick tangent. Like uh, there was a an 11 on 11 football game at like a summit event when I was first uh, joining Nike. And they put 11 people on the field from 11 different countries that all spoke different languages. And they instantly knew exactly how to play, how to communicate, how to, how to call for the ball over the top. Yet no one could speak the same you know, language that they were in. And that was, it was almost like part of what you were taking in. And I, I've always been fascinated by that ability for sports to instantly connect people. Um, and I think, you know, in, in a sense, that love starts from just the desire to, to tell the story. Um, but I love the ability to ebb and flow between those things, to, to lean in and talk about self-lacing shoes, right? And putting robots on people's feet, as we, as we often said. And, um, and then on the other end, talk about, you know, the relationship between Kyrie and his father and putting a banner up in Boston. And then that changing, you know, years later. And then as we went through all of those moments, it was just the range that you were able to, to talk about. And I think that for me was a gift in that, I, you know, we were able to, we were able to and encouraged to be curious to, to wonder what other story we could tell because there was a way to find, you know, an, a, a spot to fit it in, uh, in the range that this brand was able to, even the range of emotion, right? You know, you could, you could make people laugh, you could make people cry, you could do all of these things that it was just about finding something uh, that, that brought, uh, you know, that brought that emotion to life. Mm, I love that. I mean, I love that it's true is that sport is the universal language and everybody can speak that specific language. Um, I'd love to know, I think a lot of people think, you know, uh, working for a big brand like Nike or any other big brand, um, you know, there's, there's never ever any challenges, right. In the sense of like everything, if you have a a structure and a plan of attack, that's always like, just follow that and you're good. Um, can you tell us a, a, a moment maybe, or even your experiences and just in like, how did you handle challenges or hiccups throughout um, your journey through like, let's say a launch and how did you handle that with your team? Um, yeah, I think, you know, I, I've always believed that, uh, that change is coming, right? If, if you are, if it is not occurring right now, it is on its way. And my teams and I, I feel like have always tried to operate as, um, individuals and and groups who thrive in that moment of chaos when you see the change happen, when something that you didn't expect happen happens or comes through in a different way, or the message you had is ripped off the table and you have to start over with no time. But I think there's something really important for, for, again, individuals and teams to understand of everyone is pivoting. The world is being put on edge every time something comes along. And the ability to be excited by that, to look for it, to try to anticipate it, to, and like I said, try to thrive in it, that's, I think, what what flips those moments into amazing triumphs, right? And things that now you look back and you're like, wow, had that disaster not happened, we wouldn't have come up with this new setup, which is infinitely better than what we were going to do. And they don't all work that way. But the attitude of coming into those moments and those changes and trying to you know, turn everyone's head on it, on its side to start looking to what we can do, what this opens up, what does this change do that we could use that no one else could. And I think that became, you know, a behavior where something bad stopped, like bad things stopped happening. You know, when you had a team that was in that rhythm, because when somebody would hit a hurdle or a roadblock, they would weave and everyone would be like, jump up on this. And all of a sudden it's like, wow, this is much cooler than where we were at. Let's keep going. 
And that attitude is something that, you know, for more than, I would say for, you know, for well over a year, we had a rhythm uh, in that where, you know, we were able to pick each other up and move through those moments as, as one franchise or individual or team came into a struggle. Others were looking to help, looking to pick that up. Um, and I think that was a, you know, a, a special piece of momentum that you only capture so many times. Oh, sorry. Speaking of um, just sort of transition and change, can you speak um, to the change when going from, you know, the WHQ to Chicago and, and that move to your role in this, the senior director of brand marketing yeah. and how that kind of came about? I think the, the irony of the question is that I never moved to Chicago because of the pandemic. So I spent <laughs> The entirety of, of my time in that role, actually, in Portland, um, uh, you know, and, and interacting with teams in, in Canada and the Toronto office in Chicago and Dallas, uh, remote, remote Eakins and, and team members in Houston. So, it, you know, the job from Chicago covering the territory would have been interesting. The job from Portland was, you know, just different than anybody imagined it. I, I remember... I went to All-Star Weekend prior to my new role officially being announced, but about half of the people I encountered already knew what was happening. So it was this very odd, you know, and and almost like like age-old Nike tale of like, you know, like worst kept secrets in terms of like organizational changes. And as soon as somebody knows where someone's going, everybody knows where someone's going. And um, and I think the that was my actual that was actually like really the the time I spent in Chicago was prior to actually really stepping into the role. And that was a, uh, like I said, a challenge, unlike the challenge I thought we were walking into, but man, was it an incredible lesson as I look back on it um, in terms of, you know, motivating, you know, a team from far away and, and thinking through organizational change and structure um, and things that we were trying to do, you know, from the day I started the role, um, you know, getting to know a team and understanding, uh, you know, the role you play and figuring out the system that works best to utilize that talent to grow those people um, that you I don't think there was ever a better way to just fast track learning that experience than having to do it, you know, through Zoom and 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 through, you know, this this kind of new way of working. But, um, you know, I would say that the the the, the advantage to the team became that. I was still connected to the the global WHQ engine by just being here and not having really transitioned out of just call it like the periphery in the minds of the people I was working with on this end. So as we entered a pandemic where it was more about creating digital assets and utilizing what was happening in NTC to help get you know the brand into your living room, because that was as far as people were able to go there was some advantage in that. And I think that helped me uh, almost straddle the line between what the job was. And in many ways, might have might have been a, a contributing factor to, to what the job is now, if you, if you if you will go that far. So there's so much, uh, you know, there's so much change that happened in that window. And I think in some ways, uh, I got a tremendous amount out of that and, and met some of the most incredible people that were a part of that team that my hope is that they were kind of, you know, uh, under the radar because the market was kind of tertiary in North America. And while the business and the geographical space was, you know, at the at the top of the pyramid, um, you know, it wasn't New York and L.A. It didn't have the that that sexy banner, even though we really believed that Chicago was where there were those was, was an ability to to really do things that you couldn't get away with in New York and L.A. that you could test, that you could learn from. Um, and and even just the the way that the city was scoped. Um, I learned so much just about diving into, you know, the, the neighborhoods of a city. Um, and I credit all of that to the team that was already in place that had been operating without anyone in my role um, for some time and, and doing so with great success. Yeah. I mean, off topic real quick on, on, on as a marketer, um, speaking to another marketer, I'd love to know where you see due to the pandemic, where you see brands actually going and telling um, stories one, but like also working with, you know, the new kind of remote working, where do you see that going for, for brands? I, I tend to, I tend to be one who doesn't like to overgeneralize. So I will, I will tell you that I believe that certain brands are going, you know, brands are going to go different ways on this and that's going to depend on 
the scale of the company, what you do, right? Are you in product or in service? Because that changes the whole spectrum of what you're actually needing to do, you know, in an office. And I, I actually back it up, not just from, you know, the way the pandemic has impacted where people will sit while they do their jobs for, you know, just to oversimplify, but like also just the way that companies and brands ebb and flow between the responsibilities you have as a company and brand. And I think we, you know, especially in, in big business, you see that that swing, that pendulum can move back and forth out of the necessities of the world around you, the expectations of the world around you, um, in in best cases of your own, you know, values and desires to, to be better or whatever it may be. Um, and I think that change and that shift uh, is different based on where you stand. As a big company right now, there are huge responsibilities to shareholders to the accountability um, you know of the business and making sure that you know these companies that drive the economy for the world continue to drive the economy forward and I think that's important and and something for you know you almost have to just suck it up and understand that that's going to be more important at times and to small brands maybe who are trying to break their way in um, you know you may want to gather in tight Right. And find ways to actually, you know, work differently and, and, and be together and, and create new experiences. I believe one of the biggest changes we're going to see coming out of the pandemic is going to be this overwhelming desire to get back to the analog, to get back to the real world, to, to be excited, to have experience, which is interesting because it's going to be a polar opposite of what you've been conditioned to and engaged into and living in for the last year. And, and whoever knows how long that will continue. Um, and I think that's what's going to be most exciting to me is seeing that pivot point when the world flips again and it becomes less about uh, your Netflix account and more about your membership to a drive-in movie theater is, is maybe a, a, a broad example that I would throw out there. <laughs> and this is like kind of just an observation, but I was towards this last several years, um, I was seeing this sort of like juxtaposition of uh, digital sport and being connected and, you know, membership and driving everything through this digital, um, you know, lens and through the phone. And then also just this, like this need to like get kids moving and get kids off devices and, and get out there and, and do that. And it's just been interesting to see how Nike has been sort of straddling those, that, that approach, you know, to, to kind of gather from both both sort of dynamics has just been interesting. So I think as you're, when, when you say something like that, Craig, it's interesting like to see how that pivot will impact a brand like Nike, you know, which is obviously investing so much in those digital, you know, kind of uh, device first sort of experiences, what that means for kids who are, or in, you know, younger generations who are really looking for that experience, that sort of tactile thing. Yeah, I could. I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I think the, especially, I think everything we're saying, especially as we think about the kid that is growing up right now, right? You, there's an entire past that we've lived that didn't even really occur. So the transitions that we're thinking of, we're not. They're not even ebbing from. Right? There's just there's just constant flow. <laughs> I know. I think about my kids. It's like, oh, they're always on. Uh, technology and we try to whenever the weather is decent we try to get outside as much as we can so it's kind of like that balancing act I could totally I get that for sure <laughs> um, <clears throat> a question we usually ask our guests is, is um, you know what advice could you give to this younger generation let's say coming out of school or even maybe coming out of a different field and they really want to get into a brand like Nike or even a bigger CPG brand um, what kind of advice would you give them so that they can kind of start, um, you know, step one and trying to get their foot into the door. I, I would love to see, especially with some of the, you know, there's so many, there's so much interesting creation going on with this generation where they all have, there's, there's so much energy and just new, I like there's a desire to get ideas out. One of the things that I feel like uh, applies more than people think entering the workforce that really applies once you're, once you're in it. Um, I think I, I, I always hated hearing, you know, people come through and talk about the desire to have direct reports and, and everyone has the, the, you know, you, you want to be a leader. I want to lead people. I want the responsibility that goes along with that. And I've always found, even in my own journey where I'm not going to pretend like I never had those thoughts and feelings as I was trying to 
develop my own leadership personality and 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 the the pillars of what I wanted to stand for in that sense. But I think it is a huge advantage if you as an individual can come to terms with the fact that you can inspire everyone around you as individuals, one-to-one, as a group, in whatever role you sit in, as an intern, as a specialist, as a vice president of who knows what. like, And I think the desire to be somebody who inspires those around you, who leads, who looks out for the best in others, who treats people the way that you would want to be treating people or you would want to be treated by a leader, a peer, and so on. And I think when when you see somebody, especially in the interview process, who comes through in a way where you can feel their desire, not just to inspire or to teach or to, to know everything that's going on, but rather just to have that desire to be a part of that bigger thing and not just be in it, but be a part of why it is what it is. And I feel like that that notion of don't chase direct reports, chase the idea of being someone that those around you look to as a leader. And the reports, more often than not, flow to the people who are generating that kind of energy. And I think that that focus is something so important that like you you look at roles and you look at things like, how big is this team? How big? I, I think it's so funny when, when you only look at the org down below you on the chart. It's It's much bigger than that. It's how you fit into the whole picture. And I think as someone who's gone through the process of hiring and evaluating talent, it's amazing that when you listen to somebody talk about their desire to contribute and inspire those around them to be better versus a desire to be a people leader and have direct reports. The energy behind those things is very similar, but the the source of it, right? Why you care in that way is very different. It's about you if it's about direct reports, if it's about leading people and being there and being somebody that makes those around you better, just go do that. Just go be that person and let the rest of it take care of itself and understand you are learning and developing as a leader without the responsibility of filling out in the Nike speak a CFE, right? Or whatever that piece of paper is that's for some reason stops people from being everything they can be for those around them. Mm-hmm. Love that. Wow. That's awesome. Um, so Craig, like at this point in your career, as you're kind of looking back on your experiences that you've had um, through the internships, through your college experience, and then through Nike, um, is there any advice that you would have given to your younger self as you were kind of coming up that you would impart upon yourself if you had that opportunity? If there's anything that you would have done differently or anything that you would have changed potentially? I mean, I think I, I, I think there are definitely some some lessons that others have imparted on me that, like I said, I, I wish I had met them earlier, right? Um, I think just the power of brevity, right? And I say that uh, you know, as as we'll probably chase records for the long, longest episode you guys have had, but like I, I think the there is something really special about when you can get what you are saying across with as little as possible and maintain the power in the words that you have. There's there's something really uh, something really important about that in terms of distilling something down to what you actually care about, what you actually mean. And I think at times my creative process, especially early on in my career, was getting everything I could get out onto the table so that I just had it all out there. And sometimes for me, it was much better to be able to get it all out and distill things down. But when you came down to the final presentation and delivery. You didn't need all the mess and the process that got you there. You need the root, right? The the center of what makes the thing tick. And maybe I think for for me, I, I would have probably built some shorter decks, right? Earlier in my career would have probably been the outcome of that. Um, but just really trying to, to find ways to simplify and center your point around your point um, and see how you can deliver in that way. Hmm. By the way, can I just say you have a great radio voice? <laughs> because because i'm very like when i listen to you i'm like ingrained into how you're speaking so by the way it's just hint you should do a podcast craig if anything um last question um i'd love to know like during your time at nike it's been great you you learned a lot a lot of great leadership skills uh, mentorship skills um what's next for you right now 
Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm actually uh, we're chatting as as I'm in my final days uh, between jobs, uh, and I am heading to work with Connected Cannabis uh, out of California, um, who is I think one of the most uh, this is one of the most intriguing and interesting uh, groups of people that have just just such a unique uh, position in a market that is so fascinating to me in the sense that. You know, cannabis is really going to be this wild west. Um, there's this whole unknown chapter of, of what's to come. Um, you know, Connected and, and Alien Labs bring this real um, pinnacle love of the creation of amazing product. And I think in so many ways, we've talked about Nike and I, I think the greatest privileges of being a part of Nike. Everyone always, you know, we talk about Nike as a marketing company and I love that and I've felt that for so long the product engine and what these scientists, what these incredible minds do in terms of building amazing product and the love that goes into that process, that is an energy that from a cultivation standpoint and what the team at Connected does, uh, I'm fascinated to get into. Their their chase and and desire to make some of the most, um, some of the best, right? And talk about how we define what the best is, um, you know, product in the world. And, and I think that chase is something that uh, I'm excited to be a part of. And, and the group has been um, just some amazing personalities and, and characters that I'm, I'm excited to get in the mix with. So, yeah, I'm, I'm on my way into that. And um, we'll, uh, we'll see how, how we can ride this wave and, and in many ways, you know, build the wave um, for, for others to follow and, and stay above the noise. No, I love it. And I can't wait to um, follow your journey and see how things go for you. So it's exciting times for sure. Yeah, we definitely have to have you back on to talk about that because that's a very intriguing topic. And um, those guys are stoked to have you on board, man. You are an asset to that company right out of the gates. And um, thank you so much for being on, man. It's so great to catch up with you and 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 talk about your journey. It's been really awesome. No, I thank you guys. This has been, uh, I've loved, I've loved listening along. You guys have had you know, a, a chance to share some pretty incredible stories from some incredible people, some of whom I've, I've been privileged to call friends for a long time. So um, I love what, what you guys have put together and, and hope to continue hearing it. And we'll, of course, come back so that John and I can trade radio voices. Yeah, like I said, radio voice, man. I swear, like if anything, be a broadcaster for a sports team. I think I, I would be listening to the radio. So just, just FYI. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, <laughs> oh, thanks man. for your time. Appreciate man. it, Craig. Yeah, All seriously. Right, Have a good one. Right. You too, man.